guys get up on your feet, find somebody and tell them good morning. because that's what's on my mind all the time. Still thinking of the air conditioning right up until January when we have that two weeks of winter. So you guys doing okay? Yeah. All right, good. Well, it's good to have you here this morning. If you'll take your worship guide, I want to highlight some things that are going on. If you're visiting with us, welcome to Carpenter's Way. We are awfully glad to have you with us this morning. If you're watching on the Internet, it is our hope and our prayer that we're we will encourage you today. We are in week 32. <laughs> Week 32 of our study of the biblical Jesus. In other words, we're trying to discover who the Jesus of the Bible is. Not a Baptist Jesus, not an evangelical Jesus, not the American Jesus who wears a flag cape, but the Jesus of the Bible. And uh, so we're in the 32nd week, so that means we're just about to end the beginning of our series. 
But uh, we're glad you're here. And so you'll want to have a Bible. If you're watching at home, grab one or we'll put it on the screen behind me or on the screen in front of you. And, and, uh, but we want you to get into the scriptures with us. So thanks for being here. Thanks for watching. Our hope and our prayer, like I said, is that you are encouraged. If you are in this room and visiting with us, I would love to meet you after the service, my wife and I, and shake your hand. So don't be shy. Uh, come on up here. I'll be up front waiting. And if you've been here a few weeks and you're interested in finding a Bible study, we would love to uh, take you to one. As you leave, there's a table out there. Leave out the back door. Along the wall, there's a wooden wall. And uh, there's a table out front. And there are going to be people there that would love to take you to a Bible study class and introduce you around a little bit. And uh, there's even coffee there. So if you have questions about our church, you can come talk to me. You can go back to that table. But we're awfully glad uh, to have you visiting with us, and we hope that your relationship with the Lord is enhanced. Okay, now, Carpenter's Way people, you should have your worship guide open. A couple things that we want to highlight. The women's Bible study just started uh, recently and want you to be involved. It's a study of Job, uh, a story of unlikely joy. If you have any questions, you can talk to Julie about that or call the office. Um, we want to mention also, lady, there's a Christmas banquet um, uh, this uh, December 3rd at 6.30. And uh, so put that on your calendar. Is it a banquet? Yeah, there'll, be food. there'll be food. So it's there'll be food. That's all you need to know. But make sure you get that on the calendar. A couple other things. I think today is the final day here in our facility. If you have not registered to vote, we want you actively involved. We're not going to tell you how to vote. You vote whatever you believe best represents the values of the kingdom of heaven. Uh, but we do want to have you active in the process. So uh, in the lobby after worship this morning, I think it's the last day they're going to be registering here. Or if you have questions, you can talk to Sharon Kennedy about that there. Um, also, uh, there are, uh, if you are interested in being baptized, we're, our next baptism is October 27th, uh, and we would love to have you participate. So if you have any questions about that, you can talk to Jeff, Alicia, or myself, but uh, we would love to have you. Some of your kids have been talking to you about it, so this would be a good time to have them talk to Miss Alicia. So um, I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward at this time as we prepare to give. Uh, we're excited. We have a new we had a new members class last week and had a good group of people there. We are a couple folks have already been are bringing being brought into membership. Sam Hughes and Jeff and Paula Graves, and uh, we're very excited to have them joining our leadership of Carpenter's Way. So, anyway, if you're interested in membership, we'll have our next class coming up. Let's uh, commit our service to the Lord. Father, we thank you that we can gather here this morning and and open your Word and study. Um, Lord, if all we do is learn some facts and we're not changed by it, then it really is kind of a waste of time. Uh, your Holy Spirit resides within your children and wants to transform us from the inside out. Uh, Father, along with that, though, we need to really know who you are. We've been told a lot, things like five stones beats the giants in your life, when in reality David declared that it was, it was God who defeated him. And we have a tendency to think that we're greater uh, we're good enough, and we're not. We're not good enough. That's why you came. That's why you, you left and you sent the Holy Spirit to come because the power of the Holy Spirit in us is what transforms us. So I pray this morning that you would move us a little bit more in that direction. Um, Father, we're privileged to gather together every week in this comfortable place, and we thank you for it. We thank you for the people that are actively involved, and we just ask you to bless us and bless our time and focus our minds and our hearts on you. So, Lord, as we, as we move away from all the noise of the world and we listen and we sing and we get into your word, it is my prayer, Father, that the things of the earth will grow strangely dim in the light of your glory and grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Mm -hmm.
have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testing we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most.
more worthy 
today just desiring intimacy with you and to praise you just to praise you father i thank you for everyone here for bringing us here for the voices they're just beautiful raise to you i just pray that you'll open our ears today that we will hear something just for us that comes through mark from you and i just pray blessings on everyone amen was just text from somebody who told me that my microphone was on during the worship. You can't hear me in the room, which is a good thing. But for those of you online, I hope you enjoyed the concert. It's the last one you'll ever hear. <laughs> There's a reason. There's a reason I don't sit up here and leave worship. And uh, there's a lot of people who now know why. Man, oh man, and I was trying to be Chad this morning. I was riffing. I was whooping down there. There's a lot of people right now looking at their TV going. That's what you get for watching online. Get your rear ends in here. <laughs> wow. That was good worship this morning, except for my part. Okay. So in last week's text, in our time together in the Scripture, and for those of you who haven't been with us, I mentioned before that what we're doing is we're trying to find out, we're trying to discover together who the Jesus of the Scriptures is. And uh, I think that those of us who have been with us in this study would agree that a lot of times the things we're taught about Jesus are not actually how he represents himself in Scripture. And I've already taken a shot at this. And let me give you an example where the church teaches you stuff to help you in life with the difficulties of life that are actually there, but it doesn't necessarily reflect Scripture. And that is the idea 
that if you want to beat the giants in your life, you just need to find five smooth stones. David over and over in the Old Testament said that you come at me with a sword and a spear, but I come at you in the name of the Lord. And uh, he, will, he will deliver you into my hand today, talking about Goliath. And it's so easy. It's so easy for us to caricature the stories of Scripture and actually make it sound like if we just figure stuff out, we'll become better. The truth is God is good enough. He's good enough. And uh, as we study the Scriptures, we're trying to go verse by verse. So um, as I said, we're in the 32nd week of this. What we're doing is I'm, <clears throat> I'm using the uh, New Living, um, it's the Bible, uh, Bible Application Commentary, and they have put a chronological order together, and so I'm kind of following that guideline unless I think they're crazy and that I make up my own. We don't exactly know. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, we, we, so there are some things. The Gospel of Luke, of all the four Gospels, um, the Gospel of Luke is the only one that tries to put it in a timeline. Uh, Luke, when he wrote the Gospel of Luke, as well as Acts, was actually making a case for Christianity to the, uh, to the Gentiles to say we're not some cult, we're not some freakish group. So it is a historical record. The thing is that all four Gospels tell different stories. Uh, they all tell some of the same stories, but then they have other stories as well. So uh, what theologians have tried to do is take them and, and, and harmonize them and put them together. And although we're not hitting every story in all four Gospels, um, I'm following that guideline for the most part and putting together the story of Christ. Uh, we find ourselves between two and three years into Jesus' ministry. Jesus' ministry lasted about three and a half years. <clears throat> Soon in our study, we will begin walking with Jesus toward Jerusalem. And you know what happens in Jerusalem. He is crucified, buried, resurrected. Uh, and then he ascends on the hillside outside of Jerusalem uh, about a month and a half later. And we'll start making our way there. That doesn't, mean, that doesn't mean we'll speed up. We will slow down as we get closer to that. Because as Jesus gets closer to his death, his words get more intense. He gets much more um, specific. Now, um, I just want to remind you that there's a lot of pressure, especially those of you who don't go to Carpenter's Way regularly. There is a lot of pressure on pastors to make you feel good about life. Ever since the Garden of Eden, life is, is a problem. Um, and including creation itself, it's unwinding. It is, it is not getting better. It's getting worse. And God answers that. When sin was introduced to the per perfect creation, to the perfect cre uh, creation of, of Adam and Eve, we began to decay. And we still do. That's why you get old. Your hair goes from its normal color to gray. Uh, your body starts to fail. That is the effect, according to First and Second Peter and other, other books, that's the effect of sin. None of us, there is a, uh, well, I should say a 99.999 infinity percent of uh, fatality rate on the human race. Everybody dies. Uh, there's a couple of characters in Scripture that didn't. Um, they ascended to heaven. Elijah is one. Jesus died, rose again, and then ascended into heaven. Everybody else dies because of our sin nature. Why? Romans 5 tells us that we've got to shed this flesh. We've got to shed it. And for those of us who are children of God, we get a new flesh. That's not what my message is about this morning, but I want to let you know that you're lied to a lot from pulpits. You just are. Uh, the pressure to tell you half the story is there. Um, but Jesus never lied. And he never lied to his apostles. And with that, I want to start where we started last week, where it ended last week, in Matthew chapter 9, 35 through 38. Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that era, te area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. 
and he healed every kind of disease and illness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like, like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are so very few. So pray. Pray to the Lord who's in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers to the field. Afterwards, Mark 6 tells us this happened. Jesus called his 12 disciples together, and he began sending them out two by two, giving them authority to cast out evil spirits. He told them to take nothing for their journey except a walking stick, no food, no traveler's bag, no money. He allowed them to wear sandals, but not to take change of clothes. Wherever you go, he said, stay in the same house until you leave town. But if any place refuses to welcome you or listen to you, shake its dust from your feet as you leave to show that you have abandoned these people to their faith. Verse 12. So the disciples went out, and here's what they did, telling everyone they met to repent of their, met to repent of their sin and turn to God. Um, the disciples saw in this story, and, and, and again, this is what we talked about last week, Jesus absolutely overwhelmed with compassion for the crowds. In a moment of great emotion, he asked the disciples to pray for harvesters, for people who would go out into the fields, referring to the lost, and share with them the gospel, the hope of Jesus Christ, that you don't have to be judged for your sin. And then, after asking them to pray to the Lord of the harvest, who is Jesus, <laughs> pray to me and ask me to send workers, he turns around and says, congratulations, you are the ones you've been praying for. I love that. They were the answers to the very prayer that Jesus asked them to pray. That's our God. That's what he does. He retools us and makes us his masterpiece uh, for everything he asks us to pray for. He has left us. The reason the church exists, there is a question that used to be asked a lot more. If, uh, if salvation is once for all time, why doesn't he just take me to heaven when I die and there is an, or when I get saved? And there's an answer for that. Because there's work for you to do here. And, and, and Satan has so effectively hijacked so much of the beauty of that task that we've even taken verses that talk about that, like Ephesians 2.10, which says that we are the workmanship of God in Christ Jesus, who he retooled us beforehand in order for us to perform good works, which he prepared for us to do beforehand. He, the, the whole workmanship pack, passage that you guys see on, and that we see on Christian like memes or Christian cards that make us feel good about ourselves are actually telling you that you have been masterfully tooled by the king so that you can perform, now that you're his child, works. We are now adopted. We aren't just adopted into the family of God. We're adopted into the family business. And the family business is the business of the gospel, to tell anyone and everyone that they do not have to pay for their own sins. That is our task, and that's why we're left here. As I was thinking about that this week and reflecting on that, about the disciples being sent, about us being left here in this mess, and it is a mess, if you do not think that that's true, you've been listening to too many health and wealth gospel preachers and haven't been watching enough Fox News. This world is a mess. If you do not, and, and um, I was thinking about that this week, and I was feeling sorry for myself, and I was asking the Lord why he doesn't take us all to heaven. And then I remembered Romans chapter 10. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to save them unless, unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how can anyone go and tell them without being sent? That's why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. Do you know what an honor it was for the disciples to be sent out? 
You know what an honor it is for God to have left us here in East Texas where everybody thinks they're saved? To talk about what it really means to be saved. It is a privilege. And God himself says that our feet are beautiful, who do, who do, uh, those of us who do that. A few years ago, <clears throat> I was on vacation, and we were in a mall, and I took a picture of my feet out in the mall because I was thinking about those people. And I, I'm, I'm really not this spiritual. It's going to sound like I am. I'm not. This is the first time I had a thought like this. <clears throat> but we were in, I think we were in Nashville, Tennessee, at the, uh, at the big outlet mall. What is that? Opry Mills, if you've been there, it's a great mall. We have one in Dallas just like it now. But we would sit there, and I remember and, and Julie and Anna and Zach were doing what they do, uh, shopping, spending money. And I was, I was sitting there, and I took a picture of my feet just for, just for myself. I just took a picture of my feet, and all the people were blurred in the background. And, I, and then I posted it, and now it's become a thing at Carpenter's Way, but most people don't know why I do it or why I did it because that's what takes me to the ministry. Everywhere you go, I can't say this enough. If you're the child of God, you've been called and tasked to serve Him. You're not called and tasked to live out your life healthy and, and fun. We're here to serve the way that He served us. Husbands to wives, wives to husbands, parents to children, children to parents. Our job, uh, the people we come in contact with, whether you're at the restoration wine bar, you're, you're, you're out uh, eating dinner or working, that's where your feet have taken you. The feet that God has tooled you with and given you with to reach the lost. This is such a privilege, you guys, to have the good news of the gospel. It is an honor. I want to pray and I want to ask God to, to, to speak to each and every one of our hearts this morning. Father, as Heather already said, it is, it is our prayer, Lord, that you would transform us from the inside out. We need to hear from you, Father. We've heard enough from pastors. We need to hear from you, so we ask you to speak to us today. Do not, do not let me get in the way of what your Holy Spirit wants to do. Thank you for your word. Now change our lives. Amen. It is a wonderful thing to be a child of God. This is a good time to say, yeah, it is. It really is. Do you, you, know, you know, if you get a diagnosis this week of cancer or you dropped out of a heart attack, you go home. It's not good for your family. That's really good for you. I was, uh, this last week, um, we, we buried Sandy. It was a great week for Sandy. It really was. You, you still know that, right? I mean, I know, I know that for Janet Bate, there's an empty seat at the table, and for his kids that loved him, and it's going to be hard. But it ain't hard for Sandy. He's there right now in time for brunch. And i got to tell you something, brunch in heaven is something. And he's with the Lord. When we pray, we don't see Jesus. We look through a glass dimly, but Jesus looks up and there's Sandy. Seriously, this is all real. This, this isn't fake. This isn't religion. This is all real stuff. And the truth is the people we come in contact with all the time in East Texas who go to church if they have not accepted Jesus Christ as the sole Savior of their life, they don't get to see Him. And, and you do. We carry this message everywhere we go. <clears throat> and what a privilege it is to carry that message. 
When Jesus commissioned these guys, though, um, he didn't lie to them. In fact, this is what he said in Matthew 10, verse 16, right after sending them out. Look, I am sending you out as sheep among wolves. <laughs> Great start, right? So be as shrewd as snakes and harmless as doves. You, you know what that means, right? I'm, I'm not going to preach through this text. I'm going to read most of it, but I want to start by saying, so Jesus said, I want you to pray for workers. Then later at some point he said, I'm sending you out. Thanks for praying. Prayer's answered. You're the prayer. You're the answer to prayer. So I'm sending you out now. But here's the problem. What I'm sending you out among is sheep among wolves. So be as shrewd as snakes and harmless as doves. So I have to say this because when you think about how you minister, he's telling you not to be a jerk. He's not telling you to wrestle people down and sit on their chest and, and put a gun to their head until they pray a magic prayer. That's, that's not what he's saying. <clears throat> he's not telling them to march on Rome's headquarters. He's saying you've got to use your head. Be as shrewd as snakes and harmless as doves. But beware, and I'm going to read through this now. For you will be handed over to the courts and will be flogged with whips in the synagogues. You will stand trial before governors and kings because you're my followers. But this will be your opportunity to tell the rulers and unbelievers about me. <laughs> oh, well, that's really a happy thought. So all this is going to happen. But here's why it's going to happen. Because when you're among them, you're going to be able to tell them about me. <clears throat> Verse 19, when you're arrested, don't worry about how to respond or what, or, or what to say. God will give you the right words at the right time. It's really not you who will be speaking. It will be the spirit of your father speaking through you. A brother will betray his brother to death. A father will betray his own child. And children will rebel against their parents and cause them to be killed. And all the nations will hate you because you're my followers. <laughs> this, is like, this is like the worst speech ever for a football team before they play a better team. But everyone who endures to the end will be saved. I need to make a comment. He is not saying that you earn salvation by faithfulness in face of persecution. He is saying those who really, really are leaning on me for eternal life aren't going to walk away. If we really grasp what we've been saved from, you're not going to run off. That's what he's saying. Verse 23, when you're persecuted in one town, flee to the next. doesn't say walk, it says flee. I tell you the truth, the Son of Man will return before you have reached all the towns of Israel. Students are not greater than their teacher, and slaves are not greater than their master. Students are to be like their teacher, and slaves are to be like their master. And since I, the master of the household, have been called the prince of demons, and we've already studied that, they're attributing his miracles, explaining it away. They can't, they can't deny that he's got supernatural power, but what they're doing is explaining that it's actually demonic power. If, if they call me the prince of demons, the members of my household will be called even worse names. But don't be afraid of those who threaten you. For a time is coming when everything that is covered will be revealed and all the secrets will be made known to all. What I tell you now in darkness, shout abroad when daybreak comes. What I whisper in your ear, shout from the housetops for all to hear. Don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They can't touch your soul. Please note that he didn't say, I won't let them. He didn't say that. He said, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They can't touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. What, what is the price of two sparrows? One copper coin? But not a single sparrow can fall to the ground without your father knowing it. And the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You're more valuable to God than the whole flock of sparrows. 
verse 32, everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But everybody who denies me here on earth, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. Fellas, don't imagine that I came to bring peace on the earth. I came to bring peace. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Put that on your Christmas card. I, I, just, just take a breath. And again, I, I, I use the word lie, but we've lied to ourselves. You know, there is a Christmas, some, we, we all send cards out. And some of us apologize after Christmas for not taking the time to send the cards out. We started in November. But um, in, in a lot of cards you'll buy at, at, at Hobby Lobby or whatever, the boxes of cards you'll buy online, a lot of them have a silhouette of Bethlehem. And just the words, peace on earth, dot, dot, dot. I've often thought in recent years, that's an interesting thing to say. If you were in that scene, you know what you heard that night, right? The screaming of mothers whose infants are being run through with the sword. It wasn't a silent night. It was a horrific night. The smell of blood in the streets. Every male child two years and younger was slaughtered. I mean, there's a reality we have. This is, this is real. Salvation is real, and we're in a real war, and we have a real enemy. Don't imagine that I came to bring peace to the earth. I came not to bring peace, but a sword. I've come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Your enemies will be right in your own household. Have a good walk. <laughs> Sorry, that's funny to me. If you love your father or mother more than you love me, you're not worthy of being mine. Or if you love your son or daughter more than me, you're not worthy of being mine. If you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you're not worthy of mine. If you cling to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life, you'll find it. And with that on their hearts, they went forth. They went out to minister the gospel. And we all, you laugh a little bit as we've been going through it because it's not quite the rousing send-off that I would do or you would do. But Jesus wanted them to know. He wanted them to understand that they were in war that they didn't understand against forces and, and powers that they had never even really thought much about. Satan doesn't want people to surrender their lives to God. And one of his aims is to discredit his messengers or even silence us. That's what he wants. And it hurts when that happens. Satan's good at this. He's been doing it for seven, 8,000 years. He knows exactly what our weaknesses are. And it hurts when he attacks. It hurts our feelings, our pride. It hurts our expectations. It hurts our flesh. Jesus actually has this kind of conversation with the disciples on multiple occasions. He actually talks more about suffering in the journey than he talks about hell or judgment. The truth is, you guys, Jesus wanted them to understand what they were coming up against. And he goes on in John 15 to actually explain why, why they're hated. John 15 says, if the world hates you, just remember, it hated me first. This world would love you as one of its own if, it belonged to, if you belong to it, but you're no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world, so it hates you. Do you remember what I told you? A slave is not greater than his master. 
And since they persecuted me naturally, they're going to persecute you. It's part of the deal. And if they had listened to me, they'll listen to you. They will do all this to you because of me. Why does the world hate us so? Because of our presentation. No. That's not why they hate us. That's what we blame because what we really, really, really want to believe is that if we master the presentation and we're gentle enough and loving enough, we think that they'll like us and thank us. Jesus healed folks and cast out demons and did amazing, miraculous things. And many of the towns, most of the people didn't bow the knee to him. Many thanked him. And some even said, we don't like your ability. Get out of town. Remember that? We just went through that about three weeks ago where he cast out the, these two men in town who are demon-possessed and they're running around naked and everybody avoids the part of the town they're in because they're scared of them. But when Jesus casts out demons and these two guys are sitting fully clothed and controlled next to Jesus, the whole town says, please leave us. Get, get out of here. Go away. Because they would rather deal with the devil they know than the God they don't know. Because bowing the knee isn't really in anybody's plans. I'm doing fine, thank you. I'll just avoid it. But please, uh, you really need to get this, what he's saying to them. They're going to do all this to you because of me, for they have rejected the one who sent me. So now Jesus, second member of the Trinity, is actually saying it's not even actually me they're rejecting, it's, it's my Father. You see, they had a plan for his teaching. They thought, they understood it, and now I'm explaining it, and they don't like that. So they want to throw me off a cliff. Remember that story? <laughs> they want to throw me off a cliff. And not, not because really they even hate me. It's because they hate my father who sent me to save them. They don't like him. They don't like that they have to bow the knee to him. They want it to be God feeds me, God keeps me healthy, God keeps our nation strong. The religion of Judaism saves me. That's what they wanted. And I would argue with you, now having lived for a little over 14 years in the Bible Belt, most Christians in the Bible Belt don't want to bow the knee to God. They just want to not go to hell. And church is their social place. So there's lots of social stuff. And pastor, that's a little bit of a downer. So could we talk about happy things? Sure, I'll promise you things that I can't promise you. Like, if you give, God will reward you back financially. The Bible never promises you that. Ever, ever, ever. Never, ever, ever, ever. Ever, ever. Ever. Never. I know there's some weird verse about squinging down oceans, coming back twice. That's not what that's promising you. Jesus actually said, give it all up and I'll reward you in heaven. He never said in this life you'll have a better life. Um, one more verse and then I want to get you to today's text. This has all been free so far. In John 16, Jesus says, to the disciples, after talking about the pain and why they're rejecting them, Jesus said this, I have told you all this so that in the midst of this scary stuff, you can have peace, please notice, in me. The Greek means from me, out of me. Your peace is going to be found with me. Here on earth, you're going to have many trials and sorrows. But take heart, I've overcome the world. He tells them to pray for messengers. We saw that last week. He then tells them, we've answered your prayer. You get to go. <laughs> then they're being sent. He tells them how bad it's going to get for them as his representative. 
And this must have perplexed them as they listened to him instruct them. But this, we've been referring to it, and I stole it from the Bible Project. I want to make it clear that they get all the credit, but I've done it three weeks in a row, so I'm just going to steal it from now on. You're going to think I'm super smart. But this is the upside-down kingdom that is following God. The upside-down kingdom where the meek inherit the earth. The, those who forgive people that don't deserve forgiveness are forgiven. Those who give up everything end up getting back everything in the end, not in this life. But also in the upside-down kingdom, the king of kings, the king of that kingdom, who they expected to get the throne and expected to sit around him, that's what they wanted from Jesus, and they have it all the way through to his death. That's why they're hiding in the upper room. When Jesus tells them, I'm going to be arrested, I'm going to die, and then I'll rise again three days later, you'll get there with me. But you remember what they said. Stop talking like that. You're discouraging the troops. After Jesus says that, James and John's mom asked if they could sit on the right and left of him in the kingdom. <laughs> Duh. They're as silly as we are. Listen, if, if, if you're in this study with us, I hope you go, nothing's changed. They're just as self-centered as we are. These 12 are just as self-centered. Now, 11 stay faithful, one doesn't, but they're just as self-centered. They keep hearing him talk going, blah, blah, blah. We don't understand what you're saying anyway. You don't really mean that. I mean, how could, you're setting up a kingdom. You're going to be on the throne of David, and we're going to sit around you, and everybody's going to hail us or revere us or fear us. doesn't matter to us. We just want to sit in the throne with you. Jesus constantly said to them, no, no, no. And in his upside-down kingdom, he actually says, I came to serve and not be served. What kind of king does that? Only this king. This king lets people kill him, his creation. This king lets the very people he came to save kill him. This king builds a group of followers and tells them, you're going to die too. <clears throat> Don't worry, you're going to have peace in me. And that peace in me is huge, you guys. It's not peace as the world gives. It's peace in a relationship with him. You see, when you get to know Jesus, and I mean get to know Jesus, not about Jesus, not about Goliath and the five stones, but when you get to know Jesus and you fall in love with him, you trust him. That's a relationship. It takes place over time. It doesn't happen like that. This is a real thing. That's why he spent three and a half years with these guys. That's why he spent 30 years with most of you, because it's a relationship. And instead of learning about Jesus, get to know him for yourselves. That's what was supposed to be happening in discipleship. We have been taught that discipleship is a little booklet you get after you pray the magic prayer, and for four weeks in a row you learn how to study the Bible, learn how to pray, fine things, but that's not discipleship. A disciple is a guy who was chosen and then re responded to a rabbi, and the rabbi said, just come follow me, and I'm going to show you stuff. And you followed him around. That's why Jesus said to them, just come follow me. You see, that's what we're doing here. We're following Jesus around with these guys, and we're learning about him. Because the way you learn about somebody is spending time with them. Last week I made reference to this in, in relation to marriage. When you got engaged, you did not move in with your mother-in-law to find out about your, your future spouse. And after your wedding day, you didn't go home with their parents. You went on a honeymoon. Why? Because you really want to get to know that person. Not just intimately wise, but just togetherness. Because as you get to know them, over time you're going to find things you don't like, but you're going to find even more things you do like. That's what Julie discovered. <laughs> uh, well, I meant the stuff she doesn't like. But as we've gotten older, 
And we learned this last Wednesday night that it takes somewhere between 9 and 14 years to stop thinking within marriage independently. But interdependently, if it takes two people that can see each other 9 to 14 years to actually start thinking of us, of us as an us and not as a me and her, oh, women in marriage, Venus and Mars and all this other stuff that we hear about, if it takes between 9 and 14 years to actually become a family, one, together, imagine how long it takes with a God you can't see. The answer is your whole life. You see, it's really easy to repent. It's really easy to walk an aisle. It's really easy to pray a prayer. But to actually go, I'm going to give my life to you, not just my health. And, you know, that's kind of what we did. I mean, it's the fear of the Lord's the beginning of wisdom, but it is the joy of the Lord, Nehemiah said, that's our strength. But we never get into the joy of the Lord because, frankly, most pastors aren't teaching you about that. They're telling you how bad you are on one side of the spectrum. You screwed up. Stop screwing up that way. Control yourself. Or on the other side of the spectrum, we're going, you can live your best life now. Hey, all you got to do is trust more. If that were the case, never mind. I'm not going to go there. But you know what I'm talking about. The problem is that reality strikes. Even if you are a person of faith, your baby dies. You can't get pregnant. Your dad gets cancer. Your spouse, fill in the gap. Life happens. You lose a job. You don't get the house you dreamed of. And guess what those preachers do then? They blame you. Oh, it's your fault. It couldn't be my theology because I'm swagger. The truth is they blame you. And my job, I want to put a gun in your holster. I don't you ever want you to listen to that crap again because it's a lie and it's guilt-rendering and it keeps you from Jesus. With Jesus, he says it's going to get rough. Don't worry. I've told you all that so that you'll have peace in me. In me. Not in your house, in your better job, in your spouse, in the kids. Here on earth, yeah, you're going to have trials and sorrows. Take heart. <laughs> Take heart because I've overcome the world. Watch what I do next. They don't even know how he's overcome the world. You see, our flesh finds peace in circumstances, in good experiences. But in the upside-down kingdom of God, peace is found in the one sending us into the problem, even when he's not physically present. And that's why it's so devastating when preachers tell you or books tell you that if you make personal adjustments to your flesh, you can have a great life experience. It is not you who's causing the problem in the first place. It's the fact you're at war. You are a cog in a war that's going on around you. And Satan wants you distracted. Question this morning, as before we move on, is in what or whom are you presently seeking peace? Jesus is the only one in whom you can find real, lasting, eternal peace. He's the only one. He doesn't change. When you're rich or poor, white or black, treated well, treated badly, He's a consistent. I love you. Follow me. So back to this. Jesus sent them out. Kevin, will you put that on the screen for me, please? I just read for you uh, Matthew chapter 10. And uh, I stole this again from, um, let's see, I want to give them credit. It is uh, Life, Application, uh, Life Application Study Bible. And it beautifully lays out what I just read for you. And I'm going to do something I rarely do because it's fun. Can you see the red dot? Well, pretend like you can, because I've always wanted to do this. So in, in Matthew chapter 10, he, uh, Jesus explains to these guys who is going to oppose them. Government. Religious people. Again, please understand, 
the religious people that were rejecting the disciples or would reject them were the right-wing conservative theologians of their day. These were the Baptist Assembly of God evangelicals of their day. It was the people you and I would worship with. Those are the people, those are the religious people that hated them. Why? Because they had a different message to the disciples. If you are, I want you to think about your life. If you actually started living out the gospel every moment of every day, you know who in your life goes to church and would present it. You know that. They don't want that. Makes them feel guilty. Makes them, whatever. So the government, religious people, and family, their very family would reject them. And what would they face? Threats. Matthew 10, 26, physical harm, public ridicule, even rejection by loved ones. That's who would reject them. That's how they would reject them. And the result would be fear and worry. That's what happens to your flesh when that stuff happens. We count on certain people. We really do believe that if we present the gospel right, how could anybody reject it? That's, a, that's not true. They rejected Jesus who perfectly presented the gospel. We think, if I could take a sick person and make them well, surely they'll want to know about the God that empowered me to do that. That's not true. That's why many of the faith healers today don't even talk about the gospel anymore. They talk about how you can be healed. They talk about how your family can be healed. They just tell you God loves you. Because God loving you doesn't save you. Actually, getting on your knees and repenting of your sin, realizing that he's the only one that can redeem you, that's what brings you from death to life. Realizing that God sent his son to die on the cross for your sin. Not knowing that he loves you. Everybody believes that who believes in God. The problem is when you stand in the gap and, and, and tell the truth, government, religious people, family resent you. They make threats, physical harm, public ridicule, rejection by loved ones. And the truth that they needed to understand, this is why it wasn't bad news. He told them, the truth will be revealed in time. Our souls cannot be harmed. Remember, that's what the gospel was all about in the first place anyway, right? The, the gospel in the first place was, well, it was really about what C.S. Lewis talked about in the last of the book of the Chronicles of Narnia. In the very last chapter, of the very last book, the children actually go through the wall, in, or in the seawall, into the Aslan's kingdom. And he writes a note to the audience. And here, my dear friends, is the end of the journey one that will make you sad. But the reality is, what happened right now isn't the end of the journey, except for you. But for the children, it was just the preface of the real journey, for they have entered Aslan's kingdom. Life begins at death for the child of God. Life ends at death for the non-believer. You live with what you take with you. For the child of God, you're given a new body, a new family name, a new life, a new house, a new kingdom, new wealth. You get all of that. Your soul is secure in the promises of God. When I met with the Graves to talk about membership, uh, they, were, they were making a really interesting point. We throw the word hope around a lot. And when you hope for something, it's like in this culture, the word hope means I'm going to Vegas and I hope I come home with $1,000. It means if my luck is good, I'll have $1,000 more when I come back. But hope, biblically speaking, is assurance. Hope for the child of God is, is the promises of God that, that can't not come true. It is hope for them, not for now. It is putting all of my eggs in the eternal basket. It is the direct opposite of YOLO. You don't only live once, you'll live twice, and this is the rough one. That's the upside-down kingdom of life, that while my body feels like this is the most important time, my soul knows 
that it's all about eternity. And so Jesus said that even though they can hurt your body, they can't touch your soul. Thirdly, God himself will acknowledge us if we acknowledge him. Stay close. And God's love can sustain you through any difficulty. That's what Jesus said to them. So while it sounded like really bad news, infused in it was good news. But that good news doesn't feel good if you're living for your flesh. Do you understand? The good news that Jesus Christ offers isn't very sexy to the church because we do want more money, we do want a good job, and we want to be healthy and left alone. Actually, most of us love living in East Texas because for the most part, everybody is genuinely kind of Christian religious. Everybody's genuinely nice to each other unless somebody deserves to be mistreated. Then we say, bless your heart. But we generally, that was funny. I, I slipped that joke right in there. You missed it. But generally, people are nice here. So this is a nice, safe little community for us to live until you start realizing most people who go to church and pray the prayer at five years old may not even know Jesus. They certainly don't know the Jesus of the Bible. Wouldn't you agree? Many of us didn't know the Jesus of the Bible. There's a sign in this town outside of a church that says, for every Goliath in their life, there's a new stone. I want you to think of the subtext of that. If that's a message I preach, that means you've got to learn how to throw that stone. You've got to find that stone. You, 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 you. And I'm here to tell you, you can't beat Goliath. Goliath will beat you every time. But God can beat Goliath. Cling to God. Don't cling to the stones. You're just going to get wet feet. Cling to God in everything. If they end up, if this country goes weird and, excuse me, er, er, if the socialists win and decide that anybody who believes sin is sin and it's not okay, if they come after us, nothing changes except our comfort, right? Unless you're clinging to your hope, your own hope, and not God's. You see, that's what the Lord is convicting me of right now. Mark, where's your hope? Is it in the giving of the church? Well, yeah. Is it in Julie? Good health? Your kids? Yeah. None of those things will last very long. Put your hope in me. Okay, I'm done. I'm about ready to get into our text for today. It's going to end quickly. You're going to get it really fast. In one of the Gospels, in Mark's Gospel, this story follows. Herod had sent soldiers to arrest and imprison John, the baptizer, as a favor to Herodias. She had been his brother Philip's wife, but Herod had married her. That's called incest, in case you're not clear on that. John had been telling Herod, it is against God's law for you to marry your brother's wife. Duh. So Herodias bore a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. But without Herod's approval, she was powerless. For Herod respected John, and knowing that he was a good and holy man, he protected him. Herod was greatly disturbed whenever he talked with John. But even so, he liked to listen to him. His heart wasn't changed. He didn't follow John's God. He just liked to hear him because he believed that this guy had a truth. Just because you tell the truth doesn't mean people are going to follow. Herod's an example. Verse 21. Herodias his brother's wife that's now his wife. Her chance finally came on Herod's birthday. He gave a party for his high government officials, army officers, and the leading citizens of Galilee. Then his daughter, also named Herodias, now pay attention to this, his daughter, also named Herodias, came in and performed a dance that greatly pleased Herod and his guests. You know what kind of dance that was, right? I got a hot daughter, man. Look at my daughter. That makes me happy. Look at how the men look at my daughter. 
Just in case you're not clear, that's pretty messed up too. Ask him for me for anything you like, the king said to the girl, and I'll give it to you. He even vowed, I will give you whatever you ask up to half of my kingdom. Uh, just a side note, he didn't have authority over half the kingdom. He was actually an under-shepherd of the kingdom, but he offered it to her anyway. That's how messed up this guy's brain was. She went out and she asked her mother, what should I ask for? Okay, so in case you're not clear, um, her mother, who is somebody, Philip, his, uh, Herod's brother's wife's ex, who is now his present because he took her away from him, her daughter is dancing before Herod, and that makes him happy. And so after he says, I'm going to give you up to half my kingdom, she goes to her mama and says, what should I ask him for? So her mama knows that her daughter's dancing before her husband. You're kind of getting a twisted, messed up idea. You think it's weird today. Although I think probably stuff like this would happen in Washington. It's kind of messed up world, right? So she asked her mother, what should I ask for? And her mother, who was a good role model for her, said, ask for the head of John the Baptist. <laughs> you mean a, a little plastic head? No, the real deal. So the girl hurried back to the king, <gasps> excited beyond belief. And she told him, I want the head of John the Baptist right now on a tray. Oh, won't that be a pretty little dessert? This is a real story. This really, 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 really happened. Then the king deeply regretted what he had said. <laughs> this is going to be a real party ender. But because of the vows he had made in front of his guests, he couldn't refuse her. So he immediately sent an executioner to the prison to cut off John's head and bring it to him. The soldier beheaded John in prison, brought his head on a tray, and gave it to the girl who took it to her mommy. It was Christmas time after all. And actually, you know, in Rome, they want to honor their parents during that time of the year. It's a nice thing. So what does she take her? She takes her a bloody head. In case you're thinking... It's worse today. It's just as bad. But not worse. When John's disciples heard what had happened, verse 29, they came to get his body and they buried it in a tomb. Jesus obviously meant what he said when he said, when you go out there, I'm going to send you and have you, you will be imprisoned just for doing what's right and they will arrest you and they will flog you in the synagogues and you'll be killed. John the baptizer was probably the most... After he blinked that time, for those of you who know the story, and he sent his disciples when he was in prison to ask Jesus, are you really the one or should we keep looking for the Messiah? In case you don't know that story, there was a moment when that happened. John was arrested for this and a new death was coming and he's hedging his bets. So he's keep clinging to you, Jesus, or is there somebody else? Jesus tells the disciples to go back and tell them what they have seen him preach and, or heard him preach and what miracles he's done. So they do. And then Jesus goes on to the crowd after these people leave, and he begins to explain to the crowd that there was no greater servant than John. I know David had a heart for God like no one else, but John's his faithfulness, his passion, his zeal, his ability to communicate. It tells us that Pharisees and religious leaders came from miles to listen to John preach because he was so effective. And he had a huge following. And they still killed him. What a perfect story to follow what he just told the disciples. Matthew 14, verse 10, picks up the story. So John was beheaded in prison. And his head was brought on a tray and given to the girl who took it to her mother. 
Later, John's disciples came for his body and buried it. Then they went and told Jesus what had happened. Here's the part in this text, because it's like, we already knew that. Follow this. So they went and told Jesus what had happened. As soon as Jesus heard the news. Matthew is connecting the news with what he does. As soon, immediately, right away, he left in a boat to a remote area to be alone. Do you know why? The same reason you do when somebody you love dies. His heart was broken. Dang it. John, his cousin, the guy who actually said to his followers, you go follow him, don't follow me. The guy who baptized him. Jesus was human. And, and this is weird because, you know, I, Jesus knew where he was, you know. He's with the Father now. Or with Abraham, in Abraham's bosom. Talk about that another time. But he's in the afterlife, in a place of peace, paradise, he'll call He'll call that place with the thief on the cross. And Jesus already knew it was going to happen. So why is Jesus brokenhearted? Because the sting of death and sin still hurts. Even for the perfect man, God. I know that sometimes things that I say from the pulpit may lead you to believe that the pain of life shouldn't bother you or... Jesus isn't moved by it and sometimes we want to cry out and go, don't you care? Yes, he does. But he'll still let it happen because in the end, his plan is more important than our feelings and our heart and our flesh. And the minute we stop breathing is the minute we start breathing. <laughs> Death is the great victory for the child of God. I'm not making this stuff up. It's all over Scripture. Death, where's your sting? We will be resurrected into new life by the one who promises everything. But he still hurt. It hurt him that John was wrongfully murdered. But this isn't the end. Here's the thing about our Jesus. Verse 14, 13b, the second half. So Jesus goes to be alone in a boat to a remote area. But the crowds heard where he was headed and followed him on foot from many towns. I mean, Jesus just wanted to be alone like you want to just be alone. He's probably crying and thinking. And when he gets to the place he wants to be, he turns around and there they are. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped out of the boat and he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. There was always one thing more important to Jesus than his own feelings and even his rights as God that he gave up to become human. And that was his upside-down ministry of reaching and seeking the lost. And even though his heart is hurt, there is no time off from the mission. And so it is with us. There is no time off from the mission. The death of your loved ones, sadness, losing a job, poverty, anxiety, depression. Because our hope is founded in something we can't see, taste, or feel. 
from somewhere and someone that lives deep inside of us. And Jesus gets it. Because he too had to depend on his father. That his plan was good. There's no time off. We can Sabbath in heaven. Until then, Lufkin's full of people who think they're going to heaven but aren't. I'm not talking about being in a Baptist church at all or Carpenter's Way. I'm talking about people who are depending on their church attendance or having walked an aisle to get them out of hell into heaven. And the thing that takes a child out of death to life is the presence of the Holy Spirit. Well, how can you make that jump then? Don't you pray to accept Jesus? You can. You can be baptized to accept Jesus. You can be on a cross and say, just remember me when you come into your kingdom to be saved. But it isn't the things that come out of your mouth. It's what's in your heart. You are God. I'm in trouble. Would you please show mercy to me? That's what takes a person from death to life. And the Holy Spirit comes in, and you know it because the Holy Spirit's fruit begins to bear around you. Now, if I've trained you well, some of you are thinking, well, this was for the disciples. This is in the Gospels. This isn't for us. Unfortunately, Paul wrote Philippians 129. I'm sorry. I am. It's going to be hard. If you're the real deal, that's what it says. In context, you've been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering. I think I'll go to another church where they talk about happier things. I beg of you. It doesn't matter what I say. Prove that that doesn't mean what it says. Go to the Scriptures. Listen to Jesus' teachings. It wasn't just for the disciples. It's for us as well. Why would God allow us to hurt? 2 Corinthians tells us that. Chapter 1, verse 3. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is a merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we'll be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. For the more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower on us His comfort through Christ. Even when we are weighed down with troubles, it's for your comfort and salvation. For we ourselves, when we ourselves are comforted, we certainly will comfort you. Then you can patiently endure the same things we suffer. We are confident that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in the comfort God gives us. Philippians 1.29, for you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for Him. And as you do, Jesus weeps for you. He hurts for you. He prays for you. But He will allow it to continue for His glory. And so that you can be exactly what you need to be for your next round of ministry compassionate understanding. You see, in our upside-down kingdom that we've joined, 
Ministry isn't about you, it's about them. Worship isn't about you, it's about the person in front of you and behind you. The study of the Word of God isn't so you can feel better about life, but so you can know God better and submit to Him. And I submit to you that the church today is telling you the lie. It's all about you. We're going to have the hippest music. We're going to have the greatest facilities. We are going to entertain the hell out of your kids. The problem is, you never really get... No, I meant that. That was not a pejorative. Which is a big word for a guy like me, pejorative. I know. I'm better than you think. But not as good as I think. (laughs) Hey, we are in this together. And by together, I mean with the Trinity. And God didn't place you in 2019 in East Texas to have a good life. He's going to give you a good life because you have been adopted into his family and you are a joint heir of all that's coming in the next one. He left you in East Texas so that others could join us in the kingdom. Let's take as many people with us as we can, even if it costs us. Let's close in prayer. I'm going to be quiet for a moment and give you a chance to to hear from your father and talk to your father. Now talk to him. Bow the knee. Make him ruler. Surrender. For those of us who have given our lives to you, Father, now give us the peace that you promised in the Scriptures. And may we be faithful until your return. Or until you bring us home. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Bible study is going to start in 10 minutes. I will be up here. Some of you might like to pray together. Or if you don't know the Lord, or you want to wrestle on the text, I'll be up here. We'll